Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Wednesday, February 20th, and we've got a whole lot of ACC basketball news to talk about. But before we get to that, we want to remind you that we are your newest ACC football and basketball podcast. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher at Chowder and Grits. Chowder and Grits. Check it out. I'm Justin Cochiola alongside Tim Hurth. Tim, what's happening? Not a lot, Justin. Not a lot. Um, I think I discovered one of my new pleasures in life. That That's one of those pleasures that you really don't appreciate until you hit age 30. And I think I've done this about six times now over the course of maybe two or three years. And that's hanging a TV. And there is nothing that I get more joy out of than seeing a TV that is hung and level and ready to be watched. And I just hung the TV in my bedroom, and I'm feeling really good. I nailed the studs in the drywall. The lag bolts are in nice and tight, and that baby's not going anywhere. So do you, uh, do you feed the wires behind the wall, or do you let them hang? See, I'm not a pro like that. I'm not a pro quite yet. I, I use So I go on Amazon, and I use a, like a plastic white wire cover. It doesn't look that bad. Yep, um, it's kind of subtle. Used that before, sure. You yeah. paint it the color sure. of the wall. Yep. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's, it's you know I'd like to get to the point where I'm threading wire through the wall, but you know I also don't want to knock holes holes in the drywall if I don't have to. So you know I have like yeah. a little you yeah. know, conflict in my head on that one. So my house, I don't know about your house. My house is 115 years old, Ooh. Uh, and the studs are not spaced evenly. You know, typically in your house, studs are supposed to be 16 inches apart. Right. Um, and so, you know, we've got the uh, stud finder on the wall going wall by wall. It's it's reading at 16. I'd go maybe a half an inch more. Yep. Looks like we're good. Yeah. Drill a nice big old hole into the wall and oh yeah, no stud. So my <sighs> TVs are halfway into studs, at least on the wall, but... You know, haven't had any problems so far, haven't come home, not on the floor. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's always great to, to mount a TV and watch it for the first time and, and know that you're going to oh, have man. many more hours in front of that guy. So, Oh, it's perfect. You know, we ended up, my uncle ended up giving us a, not really a secondhand TV, but a TV he wasn't using. I had a small TV in the bedroom, and I upgraded to a 42-inch, which isn't massive, but for the bedroom is, is pretty big. So, you know, I'm already here just thinking about next college football season and those, you know, those Pac-12 after dark moments that I'm going to be able to watch now on 42 inches that I was, you know, having to watch on a 24 before. So it's a massive upgrade. Highly recommend hanging your TV in your bedroom. If you're not, it gives you a little better viewing angle from what I can tell so far. And, you know, it just feels really good to get that thing done. Um, So now every TV in my house is hung and, uh, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Feeling pretty good about it. Well, Tim, you know, you mentioned football, and uh, obviously we're in the offseason here. A little bit before spring, so not a whole lot of news popping up around spring football just yet, but uh, we still got some transfer news going on. And uh, former Virginia Tech quarterback Josh Jackson has found his new home at the University of Maryland. So that kind of, uh, I kind of hit that one head on. I said he's going to go to Maryland or he's going to go to Indiana. I was thinking mid-tier Big Ten school, very little competition to be the starting quarterback. He can go in there and, quote-unquote, compete. But 
it looks like he's going to be the guy in Maryland and uh, not a bad way for Mike Loxley to go in there and try to try to win some games in his first season. No, I thought it was really good. Um, I think I even messaged you on Twitter. I thought that was a great landing spot for him. Uh, there's no love lost between me and Maryland. I am not a huge fan of the school, but I will say as far as situations for Josh to land in, that's probably a pretty good one, especially if he wanted a lack of pressure. Um, and, you know, for him, he gets to go in first year and immediately be uh, Loxley's guy, which I think is going to help in the long run. Gives him what he wants. And look, Josh has potential. At times, Josh looked like a very good quarterback. Um, what I'll be interested to, to see is how Loxley's scheme ends up maximizing his ability because his strength is not on the run. And I actually think you hurt him and get him out of rhythm by getting him moving because he, he's not a fleet of foot guy and he's not a guy that looks comfortable carrying the rock. But he does have some nice touch on his passes and he can throw a pretty good ball at times. So, uh, I think he'll do pretty well at Maryland. It's going to be fun to catch a couple games with him playing in the Big Ten. Yeah, you know, I don't have anything against Maryland. Uh, been up there to a game. Was actually, uh, I was interning at a television station in Roanoke and was on the sideline actually filming the game. Oh, cool. Uh, for television purposes. But uh, really, College Park, dump of a town. Uh, do not yes. like College Park, Maryland. But uh, nothing against University of Maryland, like uh, Juan Dixon back in the day when they were winning national titles with him, Steve Blake, and Gary Williams. Uh, not to date myself, but um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think Josh Jackson is going to play well there. I think he's a solid quarterback. Uh, we'll see if he can be great, but uh, you know, best of luck to him. Uh, sad to see him leave Virginia Tech. I thought he still had some something to contribute to that program, but sure, uh, to each his own. Uh, speaking of another ACC, former ACC uh, coach, Larry Fedora. Now, this was a really interesting uh, interesting play if you're Fedora, in my opinion. So you go from being head coach at North Carolina, a program that you had running pretty well a few years ago, and then for all intents and purposes just went the absolute gutter. Now you are an offensive analyst at the University of Texas. And I'm not sure what that means. It's it's a different role for every program. Now, offensive analyst for the New England Patriots means that you do nothing but watch game film for 18 hours a day. Right. right. I have a feeling it's not the same at the University of Texas, but it also isn't a full-time coaching staff position. So he's basically there getting paid i assume probably not a ton but just kind of a weird move for fedora in my opinion yeah it's it's weird you know but even when he was in north carolina there were all those rumblings about his desire to get back to the state of texas um so not surprising i guess in the sense that if he wants a year to kind of let that landscape play out and hope for a job to open somewhere in texas um, maybe not the worst place to be. And obviously working at Texas is, is pretty prestigious no matter the role. And for a guy like Fedora who has head coaching experience, it won't be long before someone comes knocking in that region, whether it's Texas or a job like you know Tulsa, somewhere in Oklahoma, um, seems to be where he wants to be. Um, so it makes sense if you look, you know, maybe in the short term this wasn't exactly ideal for him. But as far as a place where he can sit for a year – let things shake out. You know, we we might be looking at this move in two to three years for him and saying, wow, it's kind of good he took that job at Texas uh, to get set up, you know, for his next jump into college football as a head coach. So 
Um, yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. But, you know, those rumblings, again, they're rumors at the time. But, you know, he was apparently throwing his name around in a lot of uh, Texas coaching searches when he was the head coach at North Carolina. So it, it kind of makes sense to see him taking that jump back to a state where he has all of those connections. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's a trend we're starting to see in college football. Uh, like Butch, uh, Butch Jones, for example, when yeah. he got fired from Tennessee, he went and was in a similar role with Alabama for a year and then went mm-hmm. on to greener pastures. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, – Still, to me, it's a weird move. I mean, I don't think Fedora is going to be getting any head coaching jobs anytime soon with the way that everything ended at North Carolina. But, you know, maybe uh, a coordinator position is in his future. Uh, One other thing that's been getting a lot of noise and, you know, we don't have to spend an exorbitant amount of time on it, but recruiting college football, you know, there's some out there that are worried it's turning into free agency. And, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. The piece that I found interesting was uh, it was on ESPN, and uh, they interviewed Gary Patterson, the TCU head coach, and he was very upset with how all these new transfer rules have been put in place and uh, have become more favorable for the players, although it's not like super favorable, but it's more favorable than it has been in the past. It's easier to transfer. It's easier to find loopholes. They don't necessarily need permission from the school. As long as they tell the school of their intent, they're basically, you know, inserted into the uh, transfer portal. But um, Patterson was adamantly against it, saying, how can uh, kids decide where they want to go and dictate um, where they want to play football? And, you know, what does this mean for their maturity and growth as a human being? And I don't know, like, you know, a part of me is like, Yeah, you know, these kids are 18. Uh, Maybe, you know, it wasn't as uh, green green of a pasture as they were expecting in college, or maybe it wasn't as easy, or maybe it's a little bit hard, and it's the first time they've had to work in their entire life. I'm sure that aspect goes on. But I also think sometimes, you know, maybe it's just not a fit. But I'm hoping what happens and what doesn't happen is – you know, we keep seeing schools like Alabama and Florida State and Texas A&M consistently in the top five to ten for the most part in recruiting classes. And I think a lot of guys transfer out of those programs because they don't get playing time. Well, maybe you can make a little bit smarter of a decision. If playing time is super important to you and playing early, then maybe you should figure out a different program to go to and not maybe one of the elite programs in the country I don't know what your thoughts are on that no I mean I think you're absolutely right and you know for me I understand where the frustrations would come on both sides of that but the rules have been stacked against these players in so many different ways for so many years so to see some agency given to these players to allow them to affect change I'm not against it at all and if it does turn in and it has I shouldn't say if it does it has turned into a quasi free agency um, and maybe my tune will change, although, you know, Virginia Tech sure has had its struggles with keeping players on the team, and, and you know, we just talked about a player that's leaving in the beginning of the podcast, but if, if the players are able to do what's better for them um, in a situation where they're not necessarily taking advantage of anyone, I think it's it's a fair play, and I'm honestly glad 
the NCAA has a habit of shooting itself in its foot with many of its rulings and um, rules that don't make sense. But this is one of those times where the NCAA got it right, and hopefully they'll continue to explore this path and uh, maybe they get to a, a solution that you know prevents the coaches from complaining too much and and get something together that works even better for the players. But I, I think this was a great step as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's it's uh, you definitely hear both sides of the story because the players are all for it, the coaches are all against it. And one right. take that I found interesting, I can't remember uh, what coach said it in the story, but the coach was like, you know, it's it's really difficult now to plan my rosters and. You know, it, it's becoming a safety issue when I'm down to three scholarship players at a single position. Well, yeah, this isn't a one-way street. You can go <laughs> out and get a graduate transfer, and right, he was. I mean, he's bringing in graduate transfer after graduate transfer. It's like it's not just the players that are that are leaving, and you're just left holding, you know just left standing there empty-handed it's like you can go out and get other players to come in and play right away I mean it's it's beneficial to you in that standpoint as well so um, I think people just need to adapt the game is changing Uh, it's definitely uh, favoring more so of the player at this point from a agreed leave and go elsewhere I still don't think the players have that much of an advantage because they were talking about oh you know uh you know, 51 out of 64 players that requested uh, to play immediately that are transferring, that was granted. Okay, well, how many players actually transfer over the course of a year? This year, there's 1,100-plus players in the transfer portal. So, 51 people, 51 players out of 1,100 are going to play immediately that weren't necessarily able? Right. Uh, I don't think that's a huge, huge problem yet no no not yet i do think the i do think the biggest problem is a situation like justin fields where they found some kind of loophole in the system and leveraged that as a reason that that's why they needed to transfer because in his case he was discriminated against and hey i'm not saying that's going to be the case for everybody but this happened early in the football season he played the rest of the season out his sister ended up going to the school really it didn't look like it was that big of a deal to him the school kicked that player out of school that was accused but they still use it as the reason that he was transferring for the hardship waiver which to me doesn't really make a whole lot of sense and the NCAA has intentionally made the rules very vague um, around transferring which um, is going to cause more problems until they address them further. But it's the NCAA, so I doubt they do anything at all. No. It, like I said, I'm surprised they got it right to the extent they have so far. Um, but, you know, with the vagaries that exist currently, and you see some of those rulings with Justin Fields, it makes you scratch your head. And if the NCAA is going to get in trouble, like you mentioned, that's where it's going to happen. If they, if they start throwing around these rulings, um, for certain players that are highly rated and, and, you know, big names, but then not letting transfers go through for other stupid reasons, um, like a player not having a certain class or, um, you know, in, in one of Virginia Tech's basketball players' re- reasons, not getting a score that they believed was realistic on an ACT. 
they've got a lot to work on. But it, it's not because of the free agency. It's going to be in rulings like we saw with Justin Fields. It's going to trip him up. So, speaking of recruiting, SB Nation released its four-year recruiting averages uh, that were weighted in some way. So, basically, just a ranking of the t- the schools that have recruited best over a four-year period. And so, why is that important? Well, you can go back and look at players that have had success, um, players that are contributing to your program. Uh, so it is uh, definitely interesting to look at from an ACC standpoint. Shocker, Clemson's number one. Uh, Florida State's two, Miami three, and Virginia Tech four. And North Carolina surprisingly comes in fifth. So hmm. that just kind of shows that Fedora was able to bring in talent there just for whatever reason oh, the yeah. last two and a half years. It just didn't work out from a from a coaching standpoint. So that's that's what I mean with recruiting. Like you can recruit your tail off for to be to have a ranking of twenty nine at the University of North Carolina, where over the last twenty years that program has not been uh, very good at football. I'd say that's a huge accomplishment, but you still got to go out and coach those guys up, and that's what UNC wasn't doing. Yeah. And that, that's really the, the failings for Fedora, surely, were on the fact that he was. I mean, like I mentioned before with Matt, UNC is a school that recruits itself. And even with good recruiting classes, and granted, they fell off eventually, like you mentioned. But even with that talent, uh, Fedora couldn't turn that into results in the field. And that was, you know, the death knell of his time at uh, UNC. So those five schools were the only uh, five inside the top 30. You had NC State at 32. And then after NC State, it was quite a drop-off. You got Virginia and Duke at 44-48, respectively. And then Pitt, yeah. Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Louisville, Wake Forest, and Boston College were basically in that 51-63 to rank range. So still not terrible overall, especially when you're talking about the lower tier of the, uh, of the conference. I don't think there's any surprise there with Wake Forest. No. Syracuse was kind of in that 50 range for this year's recruiting class. Georgia Tech with the kind of athlete they were recruiting on offense. No quarterbacks, really. Um, Louisville has really kind of taken a, a tail dive into the wrong direction over the last few years. So we'll see if Satterfield yeah. can can right that ship. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like I said, we, you know how I feel about Satterfield. Um high on him but that is going to be his largest uphill battle at louisville is getting that momentum back all right and one other note for football north carolina spring game announced for saturday april 15th 5 p.m for any of you in the chapel hill area or excited to go down and see mac brown for the first time unleash his uh his football squad so it's that time of year where spring dates start getting announced um you know, spring practices will be kicking off here shortly if they haven't already. So uh, keep on the lookout for that. But right now, Tim, it's basketball season, and uh, yes, it is. It has. Uh, it's been a week in the ACC across across the basketball landscape. Here's a couple of headlines that I came up with, uh, creating them myself, that kind of just recapped the last week of basketball in the ACC. So. We had the biggest comeback in ACC history. The th- right. third best three-point shooting team in the country 
shot 10% from three-point range in a game. <laughs> a bubble team looked like they had their bubble burst, but then it looked like there was life in that bubble even after they lost for a second time in the same week, which we'll talk about in a little bit. You know who I'm talking about there? I'm trying to think. Okay, I'm not sure. It's going to blow yeah. your mind. Okay. Uh, there are Super Bowl price tickets for the game in Durham on Wednesday night between yes. Duke and North Carolina, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, UVA had two games, two back-to-back games, I should say, where they played in front of LeBron James and the GOAT, Michael Jordan, uh, going one and one in that span. And, uh, Tim, we talked about this a little bit last week with uh, LeBron at the Duke-UVA game. I think I realized why he was there. Why is that? He was there because he's recruiting Coach K to come coach the Lakers. <laughs> Conspiracy. I like it. So like I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to report it here first on Chowder and Grits. I, I did this with Cliff Kingsbury story, and I was correct. I'm going to say it here. Coach K, this is his final season at Duke. Wow. Look at you. Hey, LeBron doesn't just want to tamper with other NBA teams' players. He wants to drop down and tamper with NCAA coaches. I can dig that. So I think we were in college when this was going on, but do you remember when Kobe almost lured Coach K to LA? Oh, yeah. I I thought it was going to happen. It felt like a done deal. And then all of a sudden it didn't happen. But now LeBron's there. Coach K is kind of in this, like, what else can he do at Duke? You know, he's got uh, probably the biggest NBA prospect since LeBron in Zion Williamson at Duke. Now, if he goes to L.A., he's not going to bring Zion with him. There's no way they could trade up and get him. He's going to be too high in demand. But... um, yeah, that's something to look at. Because like, when I was wa- watching the game and I saw LeBron there, I was like, ah, what's he doing there? Who's he trying to get? And then it just hit me a few days later. I was like, oh, it's Coach K. That's what he's <laughs> I mean, after. it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Um, it, like you said, if you are Coach K, you've done everything there is to Duke, everything there is to do at Duke. You are They're probably going to win a national championship this year. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you would probably go out on the pinnacle this year alone. I mean, you would you would be living, you would be leaving on the pinnacle from a you know grand scheme of things. What have you done over your entire career? You're going to be a legend at Duke whether you stay there for three more years or not. The clock is ticking. There's not a lot of time left. A reunion in L.A. Not a reunion, but but uh, getting together with LeBron in L.A. just for the last you know maybe couple years, three years. See what you can do down there. Uh, I'd watch that. I'd watch it. Absolutely. I think there's a very good chance it happens. LeBron's been trying to get Luke Walton fired since he's been there. Oh, uh, no question. Is, he tried to trade away the entire team before the trade deadline, <laughs> and they all hated his guts. And they uh, all Le- hated LeBron him. Did is you see that picture of uh, him on the end of the bench yes. that one time where there was yes. like six seats in between him and the rest of the team? It was great. Gosh. And Crazy. LeBron is at an all-time high of like hateable at the moment because oh, yeah. he – 
he's always been a diva. Mm-hmm. But now that he's in L.A., that diva is really just kind of taking on a life of its own. And yeah. now it's hanging over Durham, North Carolina. Going he's out coming on for line. you, Coach K. It's happening. Duke fans, enjoy your final national championship under Coach K. If it happens, I think he's out after this year. Speaking of Durham, $2,500 is the cheapest available ticket for the Duke-North Carolina game on Wednesday night. The Ridiculous. The lowest-priced ticket to the Super Bowl was $2,674. So, Tim, if you're in the uh, Durham area, which you know you happen to live close, close to, mm-hmm. are you heading out? to Cameron Indoor and forking over $2,500 to sit in the last row of uh, of the stadium? Sure won't. Nope, not going to do that. But they're playing North Carolina. Yes, yeah, st- mm, still it, not going to do it. But it, this game is incredibly important, Tim. It's the regular season and the ACC. And both of these schools basically are locked into their seats. Why wouldn't you pay $2,500 to go see that? Uh, you know, do you know how many this, TVs I could hang for twenty five hundred dollars? Biggest whoever's buying these tickets. Apparently, somebody bought one for ten thousand six hundred and fifty dollars. Golly, why? Are you kidding me? It's February. This game <laughs> means nothing. Nothing it means nothing. These two schools—they're locked in. All they're doing right now is playing for seating. Duke is probably going to destroy North Carolina. And this game, there is no way it's going to live up to the hype of a $10,000 ticket. I mean, no, the I'm honestly title shocked. Game, the national title game last year, do you even remember who was in the national championship? Michigan versus Villanova. Uh, when I yeah, read what that, no, I was what like... A, I mean, I knew Villanova was, but I couldn't <laughs> think of Michigan. Yeah. I, when I read that, I was like, wow, okay, totally forgot. <laughs> what a forgettable national championship. And the game sucked, too. So Yeah. The well, you tickets, get to watch the beeline, weave, and heave offense, man. Yeah. So the tickets, uh, the cheapest ticket to that game was $67. And that's the national championship. So for anybody <laughs> thinking of forking over $2,500 to go watch a two-hour basketball game in the middle of February, that means absolutely nothing and has nothing to do with anything that's going to happen for the rest of the season, go enjoy yourself. That's all I have to say about Seek that. help. See, so, see, get, get clinical help. Some of the game recaps over the last week. Uh, let's just start last night, Tim. Um, no, no, no. We're going to start with the big one. We're going to start with the big one. The biggest comeback in ACC history. Yeah. The Duke-Louisville game was uh, was one for the ages. I was sitting there watching the game, extremely bored, thinking to myself, you know, what kind of excuse are they going to give Duke for this game? And then I'm watching the game, and boom, they give him an excuse. Well, Duke got in really late last night off their flight. And I was like, there it is. It's always some kind of excuse <laughs> with Duke when they get beat. There. And then all of a sudden, you're about the 11-minute mark, and I said to myself, I'm three minutes away from turning this game off. But I'm going to give it three more minutes. And right at about that 9-minute and 30-second mark left in the 
second half, Duke started making some shots. They opened up the half 2 of 17. Zion was in foul trouble, couldn't stay on the floor. And then finally, Coach K was like, we're going to leave Zion in, and we're going to ride the horse to the finish line. And they go 9 of 13 down the stretch. Louisville played absolutely mortified for the last 10 minutes. Oh, They were afraid horrible. to shoot the ball. They were extremely sloppy. They forgot how to flop. They couldn't get any calls. <laughs> and Duke was just like a shark that smelled blood, and they could not miss. I mean, they hit some huge three-pointers down the stretch. Even Cam Reddish showed up. And, you know, Cam Reddish is one of those guys who he's going to be picked in the top five of the NBA draft. But oh, yeah. if I'm an NBA team, I have no idea what kind of player I'm getting in Cam Reddish because Coach K <laughs> doesn't know what he's getting out of Cam Reddish from a night-to-night basis. No. He can send yeah, him out there. Game. He can send him out there, and he can look like the great one of the greatest players in Duke history, or you might not even know he's on the floor. Right. So he's got some kind of motivational issue. I saw a mock draft, and you know they had him going to the Bulls, which I thought was a perfect fit because the Bulls are just a disaster. And Cam Reddish to the Bulls would absolutely fail. But he's tough to figure out, but he made some big plays in this game, especially down the stretch, hit a couple of big threes to kind of put them ahead. And, you know, Zion, again, just a normal stat line for him, 27 points, 12 rebounds. Uh, I thought it was probably one of his most impressive games at Duke this year, just with the way that he put – the team on his back in the last 10 minutes with I think four fouls and uh, never got that fifth foul down the stretch played every second Um, big win for Duke I think it was more of a devastating loss for Louisville because Mm -hmm. they just looked out of sorts and that was their third loss in a row uh, against Duke that night and you know they went on to when a close game against Clemson, where they almost blew another huge lead uh, later in the week, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but what was your instant reaction? Instant reaction is just brutal for Louisville. You know, you see this happen, not to this extent, right? This was a this was a terrible case of it, but you see teams get ahead on Duke, whether it be midway through the second half is usually when this happens. The way that they play their game completely changes. And they start playing a little more conservative, a little less fast-paced. They get less aggressive. Duke puts their foot on their neck, and then the wheels fall off before Duke is even within spitting distance. And I get frustrated because I've grown up watching an NC State team that would do this all the time. And NC State was always great for playing Duke really hard and then getting hit with the inevitable Duke run that's coming. But Louisville has the horses to beat Duke. And they had the horses to beat them, and they should have beaten them. And it was really sad to see Louisville, who really could have used that game, especially from an NCAA tournament seeding perspective, to let that slip away. But you look on the other side of that coin, the instant reaction for me from Zion Williamson was my word. I mean, what a game that guy had. Incredible. Zion ended up with 27 points and 12 rebounds. Just a mammoth stat line. And like you said, Cam Reddish, you never know what you're going to get. You got good Cam Reddish uh, from an offensive perspective. 
Um, you know, R.J. Barrett didn't wasn't as effective as R.J. Barrett could be. Um, but, man, Duke played well in that second half. Um, you know, getting down 20-plus points and being able to come back from that on the road in a really, really important ACC game for your opponent, incredible. So, you know, you hate to see it from Louisville's perspective. They really could have used that win. But, you know, Duke continues to do what Duke does, and that's never get rattled. And in, in, in they're always in any game until the very end. It was... You know, you said it where you take your foot off the gas or whatever happened. It looked like an entirely different Louisville team because yeah. in the first 30 minutes of the game, I mean, they looked really good. Like, yeah, I was dynamic. thinking to myself, I was like, wow, I don't know where this has been the last two nights or the last two games that they've had, but, you know, look out. They are legit. And then they, whatever happened, happened. So. Uh, yeah. I definitely got some concerns about Louisville going forward. They've got a couple of, uh, I'd say, pretty huge games coming up this week. Uh, they've got on the road at Syracuse Wednesday night, and then they host UVA on Saturday. So there's this chance they're going to be 1-5 and five over their last six games because Brutal. the Clemson game that they played, they had a seven-point lead on Clemson with 17 seconds left and almost blew it. Um, Clemson had two chances in the final seconds to to win the game, couldn't get it done, and it marked off a pretty remarkable week for Clemson. And the reason I say that, so this was my, this was the bubble team that looked like it obviously had their bubble burst with a road loss to Miami. But then this close loss to Louisville kind of brought them back to life. And why do I say that, Tim? Well, Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology has Clemson as one of the last four teams in. That blows my mind. That blows my mind. That Virginia Tech win without Justin Robinson is literally the only win Clemson has in the good category. And <laughs> it propelled them from the last, from like the Knicks four out before they won that game to being able to win that game, then lose two, and then being still in the tournament after that. So I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like an ACC bias that Clemson has working in its favor right now or the fact that there's a good chance they're going to finish 500 or better. That hasn't historically mattered to the committee. Virginia Tech for years, granted, it had Seth Greenberg as their head coach, and he didn't do himself favors with the committee, and they clearly punished him for that because there was years where Virginia Tech was finishing number four in the ACC and getting left out. There was a year Virginia Tech had 25 wins and got sent to the NIT, all because Seth Greenberg had said the committee was certified would be certifiably insane to leave them out, uh, which I yeah. guess they were because they did. But Clemson is on that bubble right now, and you know their coach. This is what he says after the Miami game: "Just a dis- disappointing loss by us." You think, Brad? <laughs> you beat Virginia be Tech there. you go on the road to Miami I mean that is the remaining must win on your schedule and you lose 
They had no business losing that basketball game. If your bubble doesn't burst after that, I don't know what burst your bubble. But right. according to Joe Lenardi, that bubble is still floating. It might be limping, but it's it's floating. Uh, but yeah, I, I know you're not high on Clemson this year, but what is no. your uh, what are your thoughts on that one? My thoughts are, holy crap, that must be one of the weakest bubbles in recent history. If you have a team like Clemson with their body of work as one of the last four in the tournament. I mean, it blows my mind. The thing you mentioned, their only good win. Statistically, I mean, this is not me being facetious or being overly critical. Their only good win is a win over a Virginia Tech team. How can I say this nicely? That is a shell of its of itself without Justin Robinson. That's their only good win. Now consider the bad losses that they have. Okay, they're they're losing to Miami. Uh, they've got losses to. I think they've got at least three or four losses to the bottom half of the ACC. Um, more like the bottom third of the ACC. They're getting beaten by Miami. I just don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know how this is happening other than to say the bubble this year must be incredibly weak for Clemson to have a chance. But, hey, those are the breaks. You can only play the schedule you're given and do the best you can. Um, they're now sitting in a position where they can certainly play themselves in if they buckle down, and that team has shown itself to be capable of playing very, very good. Um, you know, they, they well, had NC State right on the brink, and NC State got a little fortunate to even beat them, uh, you know, at PNC um, in Raleigh. That so that, that's, it, yeah. The way that I look at it is the other eight teams that are ahead of Clemson in the ACC must be absolute locked and loaded for the tournament. Oh, they got to be stone cold locks, right? They like, have to. No doubt that they're going to, unless they just collapse and lose every game for the rest of the season, which isn't going to happen. But, right. I don't think so we Clemson have, is in at the end of the year, but for now, no. they're in. So we have a case of an extremely strong ACC and what seems to be a not-so-strong rest of the field. And if Clemson and Brad Brownell can use that to their advantage, great. Although I think if you talk to Clemson fans, you might hear them say, you know what, if we miss the tournament and that gets Brad Brownell gone, they'll, they'll shake your hand and take that deal uh, nine times out of ten. Yeah, I mean, I kind of think he's got to be after this year. but Got to be gone. Uh, let's jump to Virginia Tech, Virginia. And, uh, Tim, if oh, I had yeah. told you Virginia Tech was going to lose this game by six points, you'd say, okay, you know, they must have played pretty tough, probably a decent game. If I had told you they lost by six points and went three for 28 from three, what would you have said? I would have cursed the heavens for being so cruel um, because that the only way you can explain a team shooting that well uh, for the entire season and, and having an off night like that, it comes down to one thing, and that's just luck. Well, here was the frustrating part of the game for me, Tim. It's not like UVA's defense was so locked down that they were in no. – Tech's face for every single one of those threes. I'd say out of the 28 three-point attempts they took, 50% of those were open looks. Oh, yeah, and, and not just marginally open. We're talking wide-open looks. 
Now, the guy who Virginia was basically daring to take a three was Wabisa Beatty. Mm. Yeah. Tim, he is the biggest liability on offense of any team in the ACC. He is atrocious. I don't know what else to really say about it. I mean, there's been two really big things that have stood out to me with the Justin Robinson injury for the Hokies. One, Nikhil Alexander-Walker needs a dynamic point guard to thrive offensively. You can't you can't stress that enough. Uh, two is Wabisa needs to maybe find a permanent seat on the bench because yeah. when he was coming in for Robinson and giving him a breather here and there, he plays decent in spurts, plays solid defense. Now defensively, he's become a liability. Yep. He's just making ridiculous fouls on the perimeter. You know, he can't hold on to the yeah. ball. He keeps dribbling it off his foot. He cannot shoot. You don't no. want him at the line because he's not very good at free throws. And, I mean, I'm not putting this all on him, but the only guy that has stepped up, really stepped up consistently in Robinson's departure, or absence, I should say, is Kerry Blackshear, who's been playing out of his mind. I mean, Huge, man. Huge. He, he's been playing at a level I didn't know he was capable of playing at. And I think without him, I don't know where Virginia Tech is at this point. I don't now, either. That's easy I don't to either. say. I mean, without, without Kerry, do they win another game without Justin Robinson? I don't no. think so. No. I, I mean, if he were to go down, I mean, that's it for Virginia Tech. I don't see them winning another game. No. No, but it's it's funny you mention his play as of late. It, it sometimes in players' careers, you can kind of see potential get fulfilled, and it's like, bang, all of a sudden the light goes on. The light has gone on for Kerry Blackshear. If sure. Virginia Tech can get something out of Justin Robinson that is somewhat close to 100% before the NCAA tournament, and they can have Kerry and Justin playing – Playing, you know, Justin playing like he normally does, but Kerry playing like he has been in Justin's absence, that is going to be a heck of a one-two punch. And I really hope we will get to see Virginia Tech at full strength at, at some point here in the near future. Yeah, so, I mean, Virginia Tech, one thing that they have done in Robinson's absence is played lockdown defense. So they've gone from oh, a yeah. very dynamic offense to a team that's really known for its zone defense. And this game against UVA was not a terrible game i mean from a shooting standpoint it was rough to watch uva definitely played bad enough to lose and the fact that they won this game was because of how poorly virginia tech shot the ball now if virginia tech makes two more threes the game's not necessarily tied okay they lost by six but you can't look at it that way it changes the entire complexity of the game but If Virginia Tech shoots even 30% from three, probably an 80% chance they win the game. Okay? Sure. Virginia was very sloppy with the basketball. Kyle Guy was really the only guy keeping them afloat in the first half because DeAndre Hunter got into some foul trouble. He didn't play a lot of the first half. 
Kyle Guy scores 17 points. Basically, anything he threw up from three was going in. And, I mean, mm-hmm. every shot he was taking anything. was defended. He was he was just on fire. Um, so he really kept them alive. And then, you know, Ty Jerome had some big shots in the second half that really just kind of, whenever the Hokies seemed to be kind of getting back into it a little bit, he just came up with the big three and, and just drained it. And when you're not hitting threes and you refuse to stop taking them, uh, specifically a Med Hill. Yeah. Virginia, whenever they hit one, it just it just felt like a bigger a bigger dagger just going right through the heart of Virginia Tech's chances and that's what happened. Yeah. So tough, Yeah, and, and, uh, and you mentioned Ty Jerome in particular. In that second half, there was one three pointer that he had where he was recycling the ball. Wasn't even looking at the hoop. Um acted like he was going to carry it up to the top of the key and just went from facing away from the basket to turn squared up, threw up a shot almost within the course of like a, a second and a half time frame and hit nothing but the bottom. And this was at a point where Virginia Tech, I believe, was at a one or two possession ball game. And I really had faith that, we, that, that Virginia Tech was going to get back in it. That was a backbreaker. Guy was incredible. But Jerome really had some big shots that just that when the Cavs needed it, they went to him and they went to Kyle and those two got it done. Yeah, so tough loss for the Hokies. That would have been a big one, um, especially with Duke coming up next week. You know, I think Virginia's the better team. I think from the Hokie standpoint, they have a way better chance of beating UVA than they do Duke, just from a pure matchup standpoint. Yes, um, absolutely. So, hey, you know, I kind of think that's a game that Justin Robinson might be back for. They've been very tight-lipped on his return. I think, you know, he's wearing a boot to every game, but I think that can be easily staged. They clearly do not want whatever the injury was to get out. I think they want to surprise somebody. I think Duke could be uh, an option for that. Uh, they do have a game Saturday against Notre Dame. I will be in attendance. Pretty jacked. I'm going to go see the Hokies. A uh, little road trip go. to uh, South yeah. Bend. So maybe uh, maybe a little stadium review next week um, for the. Uh, there you go. The old. Uh, I think it's the Purcell Pavilion. It's already off to a bad start. I had to buy a ticket for my 15 month old. Uh, oh. So. That's not good. I just think that's kind of weird. That's silly. That you have to buy a ticket for a 15-month-old. But, you know, whatever is what it is. Um, So, yeah, that'll be good. A couple of other big games to highlight. Uh, UVA uh, stopped the bleeding after their second loss of the season to Duke, beat UNC on the road. Um, And, again, Kyle Guy doing Kyle Guy things. So, big win there. MJ was in the house. And then uh, NC State with a sneaky important win against Syracuse last week. Uh, they Very needed important. that because they, uh, they had Duke later in the week and uh, played them tight but could not come up with the win. Yeah, agreed. So uh, taking a look at the current ACC standings, not much has really changed. You know, we've got, uh, we've got the Duke Blue Devils at one, UVA two, UNC at three. 
Louisville, Florida State, Syracuse round out the top six, and Virginia Tech is sitting there alone in seventh place right now at 9-5 and five in the conference, which seventh place doesn't sound very good, but it's such a top-heavy ACC this year. Oh, yeah. The NC State is 6-7 and seven currently, and they're in eighth. And Clemson is at five and seven. Uh, so, do have a couple of big games coming up this week across the conference. Of course, we've got Clemson, Florida State going on right now, and that's looking like Florida State is going to run away with that game, which I think is pretty much gonna all but end Clemson's hopes and dreams. So has to. It's forty-two twenty-eight right now. Uh, FSU is on the road at Clemson. If Clemson can somehow pull that one out, you know, maybe there is life in that bubble, but I still don't think there's a lot. Um, let's see. We've got Louisville at Syracuse on Wednesday. I like uh, I like Syracuse in that game. I just don't like the way the Cardinals are playing right now. Um, and Syracuse has been very solid. They've been very tough to beat at home. Uh, so look out for that. Rounding out Wednesday's action, we've got UNC at Duke. Tim, who do you like in that one? So, for me, I love the matchup. I think it's going to be wildly entertaining because Duke and UNC typically is. Both teams going head-to-head is typically a treat if you're into offenses and passion and all the things that make offensive or all the things that make college basketball so incredible to watch. However, to me, Duke is going to be too much to handle for UNC. There's just something about UNC that I keep going back to, and they just... They do things well. Fundamentally, they're so sound. Um, they've looked good this year. You know, Luke May continues to do what Luke May does. Um, Cam is knocking down three-pointers on the wing consistently. Um, but Duke, Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, those guys are in a different stratosphere. And I think, you know, this is going to be a chance for Zion to really put on a show in front of NBA scouts, not like there's any doubt he's not going to be the number one overall pick, but I think it's going to give enough ammunition to where the Cameron Crazies are going to end up fueling Duke to a fairly, I'm not going to say it's easy, it's never going to be easy, but I expect Duke to come on, come out on top maybe by six points, something like, uh, you know, let's say 80 to 74, somewhere around that range. This game has been hyped by ESPN for like the last month. Oh, yeah. I think Duke probably wins by two touchdowns. Uh, I oh, wow. have a feeling it's not going to be a great game. Duke has been rolling on all cylinders, and I think that comeback against Louisville has really kind of fueled uh, what they're looking to do this year. But, you know, I could be wrong. I don't think I am. I think Duke wins by 14, uh, and we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens from there. Uh, you know, Saturday, we got a couple of big games with these two schools as well. FSU on the road at UNC. That's a sneaky good game. FSU is really kind of creeping up in the rankings. And uh, Duke at Syracuse. So if you remember, that was one of the two losses Duke has on the year. So they yeah. will look to right the ship up in Syracuse. And then UVA is on the road at Louisville. So that's uh, another big game to watch. Um We'll see what happens there. So let's jump into bracketology, Tim, just to kind of go through yes. uh, go through where everybody's standing. So no surprise that Duke and UVA are, you know, 
seed number one and seed number two, most likely, or mm-hmm. you know, whatever order you want to go in. I'll say this about Duke. 95% chance of picking them to win it all, but they scare me in the tournament, and here's why. I think if they play a team that, for whatever reason, matches up well against them, let's say they got some bigs inside that like to dominate. We don't have that a lot in college mm-hmm. basketball, but I think that can give Duke some issues, especially if you get them into foul trouble. Oh, yeah. Or let's say you're playing a team that loves to shoot the three. We know that Duke can't shoot the three. Let's say Zion gets into foul trouble, which has been happening periodically. Uh, let's say Trey Jones doesn't come back or you know somebody like an R.J. Barrett goes down. That can essentially happen for everybody. I'm more worried about how Duke is shooting the ball. And it's not a traditional Duke team, so maybe that's why I'm more concerned. No. But they're still not afraid to th- shoot, you know, 20-plus threes a game, which I think could really hurt them in the tournament. So, Yeah, and that's perfect that you point that out because that is exactly what I was going to say. Their low percentage from three-point uh, territory this year has not changed the way that the Coach K team is playing, which I guess you might, you might expect that it wouldn't change it given Coach K's track record and how long he's been around. However, if they continue to shoot threes at the clip they're shooting, and they have just one off night, that's all it would take for them to lose, let's say, a one versus an eight. Um, That's all it would take. And you're not used to saying about Duke that you're worried about how they're going to shoot the three. That that feels weird even coming off the tongue, considering I'm talking about the school that Trajan Langdon played for. But I, I just, there's something weird about this Duke team it makes me uneasy because of the way that they shoot that ball and the fact that they're not afraid to do it. I think they're okay in the first weekend. And, I mean, obviously we don't know who they're playing. But it's that second weekend that's got me kind of kind of antsy for the Blue Devils. Oh, sure. So we'll see what happens. Uh, UVA, obviously I'm always concerned about them in the tournament. Uh, they're a one seed as of right now unc is the only two seed in the acc and then we drop down to the five range and right now we've got louisville and virginia tech as a five seed and i don't think the Hokies loss really hurt them that much on monday night against uva i I mean i don't think they're going to drop from a five to an eight because of that loss i do think getting justin robinson back is going to really help their seeding if they don't get him back, I think it's not going to help their seeding. Uh, so we'll see what happens from that standpoint. The Hokies just need to keep winning the games that they're supposed to win. I think the most important big game left on their schedule outside of Duke is Florida State. I think that's a really yep. big game. Huge. And Huge. big for the resume. Florida State, that being said, is sitting at six. I could easily see them moving up to a four, maybe even a three. By the time everything's said and done, if they can keep winning. And then we've got Syracuse, NC State, Clemson with an 8, 10, and 11. I don't think that's going to change much other than Clemson not being in. I just I cannot see a world in which Clemson is in the tournament this year. No. Um, but Syracuse and NC State, I kind of like those uh, those seedings for those two teams. Yeah, I think those are spot on. And, um, you know, it, it's a shame you think about that big drop between two and, and five. Um, but really, Virginia Tech with Justin Robinson, I think, plays into a three and a four. 
um, you know, given the way things have shaken out thus far. So it's kind of expected, given what's happened with Justin Robinson, that you would lose kind of that mid-range seed. Um, but strong back end, I really like, uh, you know, I think Syracuse can surprise some people. They have a, they run a tricky defense that teams aren't used to playing against. Um, and I, I really think NC State's a strong team down there sitting at 10. If they get in as a 10, those are all teams that can do a lot of damage. Um, ACC is very, very strong this year. And I, I think this is going to be one of those years where you see ACC teams excelling because a lot of other conferences are not having great years as far as their strength goes. One conference that is having a better year than they historically do is the SEC. I think, uh, yes. they've got a lot of good teams this year and I was, I've been watching a few SEC basketball games. They're exciting. Uh, so I think it's really the ACC and the SEC this year that are the two power conferences yeah. in college basketball. Um, if you look at the breakdown of conferences that are in currently with Joe Lenardi, and that was updated as of February 18th, which was Monday of this week, you've got nine teams from the ACC, which leads the way. Then your four, the, your three out of your remaining four power five schools, SEC, Big 12, Big 10, all have eight teams. And then way down there, with two teams in is the Pac-12. So, Tim, that leads me Jeez. to my next question. Why are we still calling the Pac-12 a Power 5? Because they're I don't terrible know. across the board, especially in the two big money makers, football and basketball. I don't know. They, they have fallen so hard flat on their face in the past few years. It's amazing to me the depth that they're going to considering they almost have sole right to recruiting the western portion of the united states i mean you think given the talent that comes out of uh california and states like arizona and nevada and and, and other places that can play these sports year-round especially considering football that the talent would sustain all those teams and it just hasn't it's crazy um, and and the, the funny thing is, I think two teams may be generous for the Pac-12 this year. I wouldn't be surprised to see them only get one. Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be fun to watch to see the committee be like, are we really going to only have one Pac-12 team in the tournament? Right. But, but they may be faced with that if if the conference leader ends up winning the tournament. I mean, if, if, you, if you have the second-place team win the tournament and they're forced to get in because they get the automatic qualifier, sure, that's one thing. But if the favorite ends up winning, we may end up be look, we may might be looking at a one bid, Pac ten, Pac twelve, year in the NCAA tournament, which is just crazy. I mean, if you look at the the power schools in the Pac twelve, from a basketball standpoint, UCLA has been garbage since they got rid of Ben Howland, who was Insane. just a Final Four machine. And then he had a couple of down years, and then, boom, they fired him. And guess what he's doing this year? He's at Mississippi State. Looks oh, like sure. he's going to have them in the tournament. So, yep. you know, UCLA with, uh, you know, Lonzo Ball, they got to the – did they get to the Sweet 16? They didn't get past the Sweet 16. No. No, they um, didn't get past it. They got to it. But that was the most exciting thing to happen to the – Pac-12 since Markel Fultz got drafted first overall and lost a shot. I mean, everything that happens in the Pac-12 <laughs> is a complete disaster. Yep, unmitigated, man. So, basically, here's here's what I'm going to say. Pac-12, they need to hire LeVar Ball as their commissioner or they need to just hold <laughs> us a conference. 
one or the other. <laughs> That's the one. Look, if, if you want people to start tuning into your football games, get the get the swagger wagon himself, man. Get get the the patriarch of drama. And get people's get, get people's eyeballs on the TV, man. Start televising your weekly press conferences. That's what I'm all about. I'd watch if, it. If LeVar Ball had a 24-7 channel, I would watch. Oh, yeah. I'd hate absolutely. watch it. Oh, oh, absolutely. I'd hate myself for watching it, but I it, it's just <laughs> like a bad a bad wreck. You got to look. You yeah. got to turn oh, it on. You wouldn't keep me away from that TV if LeVar Ball's on. Anytime he shows up. On any of the sports channels that I have on, I immediately stop what I'm doing and turn up the volume and hate myself. Maybe the ACC network can can hire him as a consultant. Yeah, you know, just like yeah, he'll drum up interest. Yeah, for he'll sure. Drum up interest. That's all you need. I mean, look, they need to start looking away from conference commissioners as you know a suit and a tie in an office. I mean, get a showman out there. You know, do you think Barnum was able to start his? flying circus by being you know a meek guy sitting behind a desk no he had lions and tigers it's about time we started doing that with conferences that are struggling yeah absolutely so speaking of struggling we'll end the show on this you know we highlighted the american alliance or the alliance of american football i should say last week yeah uh well news broke today that they're broke (laughs) 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 they can't pay their players and all of a sudden, at the 11th hour, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes owner came in with a $250 million investment that also makes him chairman of the entire league. Uh, <laughs> Good so, guy Tom Dundon coming to the rescue. There you go. He saved the league. I don't know if that was a very intelligent investment, <laughs> uh, no. but we'll, uh, we'll soon find out for him. But, uh, yeah, not good when – you know, you're post week two and already struggling to pay your players. So how I just, I I see this stuff and it it blows my mind. Like, was this not foreseen? Were were measures not put into place to head this off at the pass? It's week two. And we're talking about this. Didn't the XFL make it to like the end of the first season? Yeah. They folded week two. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, week two, I didn't watch a ton of the AAF this weekend. Um, you know, I had other things going on, but it still doesn't look like there's a whole lot of people in the stands. No. And no. that to me is not good, especially when you're trying to drum up interest. Now, if you're still pulling in ratings, TV money's got to be there, but clearly that's not helping with other overhead costs that are clearly at stake here. That is causing you to drown financially. Yeah. And I mean, so. th- this may be something that is going to require some sort of partnership with the NFL. I don't know how you get it figured out. I just hope they do. Um, you know, we had a moment this past weekend, and I'm sure you've seen it going around Twitter. Um, Garrett Gilbert, former Carolina Panther, rolling out to his left, scrambling for his life, threw the ball kind of granny style behind his head and completed a six-yard pass uh, on the sideline. Just like Patrick Mahomes, eat your heart out, man. The AAF is where real quarterbacks play football. So Garrett Gilbert, the most notable game of his career was when Colt McCoy got hurt in the national championship. Bingo. And he had a comeback against Alabama and – 
was awful. Uh, he was so bad. He was so bad was so and bad. ended up transferring from Texas to go to SMU. And, hey, I mean, he's made a decent career for himself, um, you know, to – to latch on as a backup quarterback is not super easy to do, but uh, yeah, he had a he had a decent game this weekend. So, but hey, that's our that's our show. Uh, we are pretty low budget here, not a lot of overhead costs, so we're gonna keep going. Uh, we're we're actually doing this for free though, so in case any rich owners out there want to donate some money to us financially, we're all we're all for that. You can uh, you can find us at chowderandgrits.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, listen to our podcast, share it, subscribe, leave us a rating. That's uh, that's really all we ask, isn't it, Tim? It is. That's all we ask. And, you know, let's call it what it is. This is a public plea to Tom Dundon. If you are in the mood to burn millions of dollars, we'll take thousands. We're a, we're a deal. Get in while the getting's good, man. Pennies on the dollars. So uh, check us out, rate us, tell your friends. We will be back next week, hopefully not as uh, long of a break next time. But uh, a lot of big games this weekend, a lot of of moving pieces in ACC, ACC play. So stay tuned. And that's all we ask. Click, listen, subscribe. We're Chowder and Grits. See you guys next time.